Right, guys, how you doing? Oh, I was at work today and it was just boiling, wasn't it? But I was so tired. I, I had a full-on day and I looked out. It was like this bit of a veranda at work and I, and I just sat out there. It was a bit of a chair and I looked over and the blue sky was there, so much shining. And, you know, I mean, it's that electric feeling, isn't it? When you sit down and you think, this is amazing, isn't it? And, like, just sat in the car earlier and one of my favourite psalms here, I'm just going to blast it into you boys because it is good. Listen to this. It says, Psalm 103, it says... Bless the Lord, O my soul. Like, try and get this. Like, try and picture yourself being sat outside, looking at a hill, the mountains, or the trees, and the creation. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Hey, this is an amazing thing, because actually, as a born-again believer, you've got benefits, haven't you? Here they are. I'm going to list them out for you. Who forgives all your iniquities or sins, yeah? Who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from a pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like that of the eagles. That's amazing, isn't it? And so you may be knackered at work, and you may come here today, and you may think, oh, I'm a bit tired. But hey, tonight, you're going to have your youth renewed like the eagles, honey. And I was just reading this as well today. I've got to give you a little bit, a little bit of input before Simon comes and smashes you with it all. But it says, listen to this, he said, uh, Whereinto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or what, shall, uh, what comparison shall we compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which, when it is sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that is in the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs. And shoots, actually says here, shooteth, I like that, shooteth, shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Jesus compares the workings of the kingdom of God to planting seeds in the earth. And when the seed is sown, he said, it grows up. So it's natural stuff. It's like my garden. Everything is just, it's a great time of year because everything in my front garden is still in flower. It's a beautiful time of year, isn't it? Notice he didn't say that it would occasionally grow up or it grows up if God's will. He said it grows up and becomes greater, period. So when that seed is sown, it's going to grow. So God's economy isn't like ours. It isn't up one day and down the other. It's always the same and it always works perfectly. If you have good earth, good seed, and good water, you're going to have growth. It's inevitable. Think of this spiritually now, okay? So we are, you know, we, we want seed tonight, don't we? And if that seed that's going to come is plant and our hearts are right, then you're going to get growth. Whether you like it or not, it's going to happen. So, if you're facing a need, don't panic. Plant the seed. I like that bit. That seed may take the form of money or some time or other resources you may have to give, but no matter what form it takes, make sure you put life into it by giving it in faith and surrounding it with praise and worship. Say, Lord, as I bring you my goods, I bring myself, I give myself to you, spirit, soul, and body. Pray over that seed. Fill it with faith. Faith. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Our, our walk is about faith. So, Lord, I bring my goods to you. 
I myself to you, spirit, soul, and body, pray over the seed, fill it with faith, worship, and the word, then plant it. You then can rest assured it will grow up and become greater. This men's ministry is like a seed, isn't it? And we need to be good soil so that whatever God plants in us tonight, we are going to nurture, it's going to be like a greenhouse near, and we are going to produce fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100. I'm going to prophesy 100-fold over us tonight, yeah? So let's all stand up, 30 seconds, yeah? And let's set this off right, okay? So what I want us all to do now, if you pray in tongues, I want you to start praying in tongues, okay? I want you to give praise to Jesus for a great, amazing time today, whatever you've done. And it doesn't matter if you had a terrible time, you're going to praise him for it anyway, because you're alive, you're well, you're kicking, you've had hot food, you've got a home to go to. The blessing of God is upon us. We've got an amazing church, amazing ministry. God is amazing. So let's start praying in tongues. Come on, every one of us. Come on. Okay, guys, you can go back to your seats now. I love that. I love starting away, starting a day like that. Start with the appeal. <laughs> That's good. Tonight, Simon um, is going to do two parts for us today. Um, he's going to start off a bit of ministry. Then we're going to split into a group and we're going to break apart what he said and and um, analyse it and see where we can grow with that. Then we're going to form back again. Then he's going to give us part two. I think you guys have done this before, haven't you? And then we're going to break away again then and discuss that. So this is a time where we can just examine and break open the word of God. So good. Dan Yates is a little bit unwell. Um, bless him. So I'm going to pray over him right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray over Dan Yates. Father God, he's just a little bit tired and burnt out. And so in the name of Jesus, we pray that you will touch him. Just touch him right now. As I'm talking, there's no distance in the spirit between me and him right now and you. And so, Father God, put your hand on him. And I pray instant recovery in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you that you've given me a life of hope and faith. And thank you that we worship a God that is so beautiful. Thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus. Amen. Simon. Thank you. Over to you. Yeah, bless you. Yeah, I appreciate your prayers. Um, great to see you tonight. Thank you for really making the effort. Uh, I will do my best to make sure this is an evening well spent to help us think, help us grow, um, and challenge ourselves to become bigger. Because that's what we're about, growing you to live big. So it's a real privilege to serve you tonight. Uh, your prayers will be appreciated uh, that God will sustain me. Uh, to do what I need to do. What, what a privilege to serve you tonight, genuinely, without any shadow of a doubt. Um, let, let me just, uh, if you start making notes, let me correct this right at the start. See, what we write in green is what we normally do. How to sabotage our security. <laughs> We're pretty good at that. All right. So I want to talk tonight about how not to sabotage our security. All right. Um, I, I just really, uh, could you put your hand up if you're insecure? Well, I, those who haven't got their hands up aren't telling the truth. <laughs> All right. 
I, I, I want to show you tonight that we all have levels of insecurity. All right, and what I want to deal with tonight is facing our insecurity. Like I, the, the, when I when I came to terms with this, I do have insecurity. I even faced it today. So I've been working in Watford for two days with a, a team, and we had to battle through some very difficult issues. And we finished the day, and everyone was going, "Oh, that's really good." And uh, there was just something in the email this this morning that just make me uncomfortable and once I'd started to think about that line in the email my brain went into all sorts of conspiracy theories does anybody know what I'm talking about here you read something and it makes you think right about something and then you start to think well if that's true then something else is true then if that's true something else is true and in the end, you have come up with this amazing story, right? Now, as it's men here today, I want to teach you the, the secret to dealing with those things. And it's, uh, you have an option. When something comes your way that makes you feel insecure, you have a crossroads. And the crossroads is either someone has made a mistake or someone is planning against me. Let me tell you, 99.9 .9 people are not planning against you. But somehow we manage to find the 0.001% in our thinking. Let me give you another example. I got up to speak at a school a few years ago, about 30 years ago. And I'm speaking to those children, and as I'm standing in front of them, there's one child sitting on the floor, cross-legged, with their arms crossed like this. And the faces they were contorting were, well, quite frankly, demonic. <laughs> there was 400 children up to the age of eight or nine, possibly 10, in that room. Guess which one was capturing my attention for the entire time I was speaking to them? The one who'd crossed their arms. And I found myself trying to get that person to smile, forgetting 399 people were having a brilliant time. What is that? That's insecurity. I am insecure. I feel like it's alcoholics night. My name is Simon Jarvis, and I'm insecure. <laughs> if I can identify that, if I can identify the moments in my life where I have aspects of insecurity, I will stop sabotaging myself. Because the amount of time you can go off on a track of thinking and thinking and thinking when you're not dealing with the issue itself. The thing at the email I received today, I thought for around about an hour, I stewed on that email. Then I thought, this is crazy picked up the phone because the chances of that are remote phoned up said hi hey, how you doing i got your email can i just check what's happened with this aspect oh no it's fantastic it's really brilliant i gave him the contact details so they can talk to you uh, because we've processed brilliantly last night but i need you to help us out on this and i went oh yeah that's what i thought you meant <laughs> but actually what i thought i meant was exactly opposite today I displayed insecurity.
the best chance of you beating insecurity is to spot it when it comes into your life. And I'm going to show you and use biblical evidence of six layers of insecurity that come our way. Now, you may, you may resonate with one or two of them. You may be going, oh, six, that's me, man. Right? Or you may just go, on a mild level, I, I can connect with some of those things. But let's look at some things of our insecurity um, today. Are you with me on this? Very good. So one of the greatest tragedies of church life surrounds uh, us when in, usually in men, when men become insecure. Uh, disasters happen every week when we pretend the problem has to do with something else rather than dealing with the issue or someone else rather than dealing with the issue ourselves. Uh, my friend is a marriage counsellor and he had to deal with a, a couple who um, clearly the man was an idiot. So he pulled them together and he got them back on track again. And each time, the poor bloke, he's got, yep, yeah, okay, yeah, my bad. But a wonderful thing happened. Their marriage started to heal and they started to work. And they got back on track again. Months passed and the counselling had, had, had finished. But he got a phone call. He says, I need to see you. I need to see you. It's this man. And he back, came and banged on the door, opened the door. He says, it is definitely her fault this time. Absolutely, 100% her fault. And uh, he looked at him and he says, well, oh, tell me what happened. So he told what happened. He says, 100% her fault. Well, it's 98% it's her fault. And he looked him in the eye and said, go home and own the 2%. Go home and own the 2%. Own your own mess. Own your insecurities. Own the areas of your life that you don't often look at. And God will help you deal with those things. And you'll have strategy to come to terms with your weakness. And allow him to be a strength in your life on a day-by-day -day basis. This is where I'm going. To be honest, personal insecurity is fairly easy to spot in our behaviour. We fail to see it merely because we ignore it. We pretend it isn't there by defending ourselves and diverting the focus onto something else. The following are biblical case studies where ordinary people like you and me struggled with common insecurities of some sort. Notice how it showed up in their lives. Here's the first one. Comparison. You begin to compare yourself to others. Now the danger of this insecurity is you ignore the unique role that you and others are to play on your team. Now let me give you a biblical example of what I'm talking about. I haven't got time to read it, but in Matthew 20, if you're taking notes, it tells the story of the, the vineyard workers. There's a manager who turned up on the corner of the street and there were some men wait, waiting to be hired. Turned up at six o'clock in the morning, said, if you come and work for me for the day, I'll give you a denarii. They all agreed to work for the day. At lunchtime, he knew he wasn't going to get the job done, so he went back to the corner and ordered another load of blokes, got back into the field, they were working in the vineyard. Realised it wasn't going to get done. 
So he went again, and the last hour of the day, he got another bunch of blokes and said, come and work for me, and we'll get the job done. When the job was done, he started handing out the cash. He went to the guys who'd only worked one hour and gave them a denarii. The ones who'd been there all day are thinking, happy days. One hour, 12 hours, it's going to be my lucky day. Went to the next group, gave them a denarii. And went to the guys who'd been working all day and gave them a denarii. These guys kicked off. Says, that's not fair. These guys work for an hour and get paid a denarii. And we've worked all day and get paid exactly the same. That's not fair. Now, number one, this is not a parable about how to run a business. <laughs> it's a parable about comparison. Why, why does he get blessed? He doesn't pray as much as I do. Why, why is he promoted? Why does he get this, that and the other? He's only been around this bit and I've been doing this for ages. You understand what I'm talking about here? We think that God should treat us exactly how we think we should treat others. That's called comparison and that's an insecurity. Watch for it. So it come up and creep up on you, bite you on the bum. Now, if I put you in another context, you might go, ah, yeah, I understand it. My rugby coach, um, we used to get to half-time, we were losing. He, was, he used to go mad at us. And he'd go to the one guy, and he'd totally roast them. He'd actually hit the guy. He'd clip him around the ear. Say, you, what are you doing? You, you're playing really, really badly. And we'd all sit there in fear as he was shouting at this guy, physically hitting him. And then he'd go to the person on the other end, say, oh, mate, come on, you can do much better than this. See, the coach realised this one needed to boot up the bum to play better. If he used the same tactic with this one, he'd have just gone back into his shell. And so God loves you so much. He knows exactly how to deal with you, which is different how he deals with you, and different how he deals with you. Stop comparing yourself with the people around you, because God loves you so much, he knows what you need. Identify the insecurity of comparison. Make sense? Mentally, give yourself a mark out of 10. I'm going to go real quick. The second one is victim. In victim, you feel like a victim and must compensate for your inferiority. The danger here is you fail to trust God's control by taking matters into your own hands. Well, nobody cares about me, so I have to go and do this myself. A classic example of this is found in Genesis 27 and 32. This is where Jacob felt a victim to his circumstances, so constantly was manipulating the situation to make sure he got the benefit of what was going around. It wasn't till God literally wrestled him to the ground. He said, just I love you for who you are. You're not a victim. You're no longer you're going to be called Jacob, but from now on you're going to be called Israel. 
But up to this point, he had a victim mentality. You scheme how to get ahead and how to gain recognition. You fight irrational battles to get what you think you deserve. You may even stoop to dishonesty and deception to get results. This is Genesis 27, chapter 27 and chapter 32. Forgive me jumping around, but you can look up these as you go along afterwards. So Jacob, have you known someone right, who is dishonest, will use dishonest gain to get ahead of everybody around you? Have you met someone like that? Do you know what fuels that? Insecurity. They feel the victim and therefore life owes them, right? Sometimes that can creep into our lives, the victim mentality. Number three, competition. Competition, you drift into self-centered patterns, trying to outperform others. <laughs> Danger, you become obsessed with building your own kingdom and you will do anything to win. How many people, when you go shopping, you look, you go, that's the shortest line. And when you get there, you just do a little marker. And you're like, I need to know I was in the shortest line. And you're moving like, I got beaten to the checkout. Or you're driving, you get stuck in a queue of traffic. And there's two lines of traffic. And you're sitting there and you just make a mental note. Red Ford Escort. That's my marker. And then you move in, you move it, and the Red Ford Escort goes. <laughs> that's, that's competitive, right? That's a bit of fun. Maybe you expose itself literally when you're playing a game and you lose the game and you start to lose it. That's insecurity, guys. We're all bigger than this. It's just our insecurity comes and grabs us. The example here is found in Luke 15. There's two lost sons. One is the one, the famous one, who is called the prodigal son. But the other one stayed at home and all he did was compare himself he was competing for his father's attention. His father said, son, what are you trying to do? Everything I've got is yours. You don't have to compete with him. Chill. You tend to keep score on life. You tend to be critical and judgmental. You tend to be self-centered. What does Galatians chapter 6 verse 4 and 5 says? But let each one examine his own work and then he will be, have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another for each one of us will bear his own load people pleaser i'm going quite fast here because i want you to discuss this people pleaser you are driven to gain others approval you are a people pleaser the thought of someone being unhappy with you is not a nice thought. And so you'll even stop being yourself in order for someone else to stay happy. Insecurity. Right there. Boom. So clearly when I was talking to all those bunch of children and 399 thought I was amazing and one was from hell itself not that I'm still bitter about this. I don't like the fact that you don't like me. I want you to like me. Now that's okay. 
It's when you start to contort yourself or underplay yourself or start to be somebody you're not to keep somebody on board. You follow me here? So where's a biblical example of this? Oh, Martha. You remember Mary and Martha? Luke chapter 10. You see, you risk burnout due to impure motives and unrealistic expectations. You get distracted from the big picture priorities consumed by your own performance. You grow weary because you attempt to do too much for the wrong reasons. And you tend to be a perfectionist. I, I knew this would be uplifting. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. You following me? All right. Let's go for number five. Oh, this is a good one. Judgmental. So you demonstrate a judgmental attitude of yourself or others. You experience a distortion of reality and are tempted to withdraw from responsibility. Oh, look what, look what he's doing. I wouldn't do that. And you, all you're doing is shifting, or you heard the expression pitchforking. Instead of dealing with the issue that's within you, you're pitchforking the issue onto someone else. Because something that they are doing or saying or living makes you feel uncomfortable. So your reaction is to judge what they're doing rather than allowing God to judge what they're doing. So the judgmental person example is, oh, Elijah in 1 Kings 19. So in 1 Kings 18, we have this amazing story where Elijah is on the side of a mountain. He calls down fire from heaven. The fire consumes the sacrifice, the water. It's an incredible miracle. Let's have a look at it. It's really good. 1 Kings 19. We've got to look at the Bible. Come on, quickly. 1 Kings chapter 19. So it says here, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets and the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and said, May the gods deal with me ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. So Elijah has performed an incredible miracle, proved that God's with him. So what does he do? Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Well done, Elijah. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Elijah listened to the words, judged himself, condemned himself, judged all those around him judged and and in doing so just shrank away from what was happening in his life you have a short-sighted perception of your circumstances you complain about unjust circumstances all it was was a woman who said i don't like him i'm going to kill him well that's quite serious but he found himself in this position you complain about unjust circumstances and feel overwhelmed you fear your own demise and insignificance and therefore you become judgmental about those around you what does the bible say about this corinthians 4 verse 3 to 5 but to me is a very small thing that i should be examined by you or by any human court in fact i do not even examine myself for i am conscious of nothing else against myself yet i am not by this acquitted 
but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes. Who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts? And then each man's praise will come from God. Can you hear this? All right. Let God judge. Let God judge. Just going to trust God's in control of that. The clue is, can you see how Elijah hid, became smaller, didn't want to face up to things? Those are the clues. If you find yourself hiding, and how do we do this, men? We hide in, sometimes it can be as strong as alcohol or those sort of things. Sometimes we just become incommunicative. Sometimes we just don't talk at all and we just stew in our own juices. These are signs that insecurity is getting the better of you. And this is not a place where God wants you to be. Because you are actually doing the devil's work for him. You are sabotaging yourself. And I want to, I've come here tonight to say, stop it. Stop it. We are called to live big. Last one before we discuss. Number six, control. In order to validate your own worth, you feel you must take charge. Now, control, I just want to be really clear, control is not always a bad word. Tom gave me a lift the other day from the station, and we're driving around, and I'm so glad he was in control of the vehicle that was taking me where I needed to go. Control is a good thing, right? But control as a manipulation... Now here's another example of control. Tom, don't drive like that. Tom, you're too far. Over. Get on the other side of the road. Tom, oh, Tom, careful. You shouldn't be in third here, Tom. Tom, you should be doing at least 35 here. This is a 40, 40 mile. Tom, what I'm doing is I am trying to control the person who's in control. People who have the insecurity of control think win-lose rather than win-win. You've heard the expression win-win? Sometimes, I, I've worked with bosses in my time who are control freaks. They're not looking for me to win in a situation. As long as they win, they don't care about me. Have you ever had a boss like that? Have you ever been the boss like that? Have you ever been a parent like that? Have you ever been a husband like that? Ouch. The root of that control is insecurity. Biblical example, Genesis 16, verse 1 to 6. This is great. This is a real good example. Let's go there. Shall we? Genesis 16, 1 to 6. So the person we're talking about here is Sarah. Are you with me? Genesis 16, 1 to 6 says, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Now here's an interesting proposition. Go and sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham's going, all right, love. Abraham agreed to do what Sarah had said. So what, was, what did Sarah say? Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. That's what she said. All right? That's what she said her motivation was. 
Verse 3, so after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. <laughs> Genesis 16, that's right. Then Sarai said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Too right, love. This is your idea in the first place. Verse 6, Abraham says, Your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Control freak. Control freak. She tried to make God's will work for her. Took control of a situation because she could manipulate a person. It backfires on her. She blames Abraham. Abraham went, this was your idea in the first place. You see, that win-lose thing just doesn't work. Got to find space for people. If you find yourself in a situation where you feel insecure, ask God to help you to give you grace so you don't manipulate your wife or your children or your employees or your friends so that you can get ahead control is an insecurity your circumstances determine your understanding of God's character you become self-seeking and manipulative of others you eventually suffer from the martyr syndrome this is true just remember I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. You can trust him in the circumstances. You don't need to be in control of your future. Allow God to be in control. So the victim is different to the control one. The victim is on the back foot. Everything's against me, everything's against me. But you manipulate it by, by playing the victim. We've met people like that. The control one's the other one. It's on the front foot. You control the situation, but you're doing it out of insecurity rather than love. So I've given you six examples of insecurity. I don't know about you, I scored in at least two of them. And what I want you to do is I want you to look at those six and give yourself a mark out of ten. So some of you might go, yeah, two. Some might go, mm, 14. <laughs> All right, that's okay. Just be really, really honest with yourself. I'm trying to help you guys. I'm trying to help you. This is the stuff that has helped me over the years to come to terms with the things in my life that cause me to be insecure. People pleaser. The further I've got into ministry, control can be a, a, an issue for me. And comparison are my three that I score. Sorry. Now you've done that, get yourself in groups of three and discuss with the person that's written which area that you scored high in. We'll just do that for five, six minutes and then pray for one another. Okay? When we come back, I'm going to show you how to beat this. Okay? I'll show you how to beat this. I, I, well done guys, I, I was wondering how well you would respond to this because I've kind of dumped, this is not how I normally speak 
I've taken you right to the pit of hell and gone, have a look there, you're terrible. <laughs> um, this is what I believe as men. If we, if we can understand where we're weak, we can do two things, and both of them are positive. One is, God, will you help me please? And he'll come to us in our weakness. And secondly, you can phone a friend. And you say, hey, mate, can you just watch my back? Because do you see any of these traits in me? And then 15 hours later, you wish you hadn't asked. <laughs> and they just say, do you know what? I think you're a little bit this sometimes. I think sometimes, you know, in your desire, self-confessed, in your desire to please people, sometimes you give away part of yourself that shouldn't be given to someone else. And that's part of yourself is when you've, you do it, there's an insecurity there yeah. and you've crossed the line there. Okay? And these are the things how we can support one another, right? Because they will strengthen us. Right? The Lord wants to strengthen us. The devil wants to destroy us. The devil wants to keep us small. Now, what happens actually for most of us, we've learned to survive with these in our lives. We either mask them, pretend they're not there, or we just overcompensate with some strengths that we've got. I, let's allow the Holy Spirit to breathe life into us, to become more full in our manhood, to have a, a greater reliance on God in all these areas. And just say, each time I see it, it reminds me how great my God is because he's forgiven me in these circumstances. These are, the th these are wonderful, wonderful things that if we can come to terms with them, uh, we will become bigger men, better husbands, better fathers, uh, better, better servants, better employees, better employers. Right? Because we become more comfortable in who we are. Yeah? That's where we're going with this. So, if comparison was your number one slot, can you put your hand up please? then your key verse to study is John 21, 21 and 22. Okay, you can all write these all down if you want, right? But if that's your key one, John 21, 21 to 22. If victim was your key one, then Psalm 37, verses 1 to 8. I want you to study that, get that inside of you, get that word of God inside of you. Competition. Who was competition? Then the scriptures for you are Galatians 6, verse 4 and 5. People pleaser? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. Judgmental? Judgmental is 1 Corinthians 4, verses 3 to 5. And control... Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. So, comparison is John 21, 21 to 22. Victim was Psalm 37, verses 1 to 8. Competition was Galatians 6, 4 and 5. People pleaser, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. Judgmental was 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3 to 5. And control 
It's Jeremiah 29, verse 11 to 13. Truth is, it's possible to experience several of these symptoms. The key is to identify how you cope with your insecurity and to detect what kind of lies you tell yourself about the reality you face. Consider this. If the truth sets us free, John 8 verse 32, then lies put us in bondage. The level of defeat and bondage you face as a man may be directly linked to the volume of myths or lies you have embraced about your identity. Our problem is that while we know the truth, <laughs> we believe the lie. Wow. Here's, here's a little process that I find really helpful for me personally. So this is very practical. Find the trigger. All right? Find the trigger. So don't try and deal with the whole thing by, by uh, speaking in tongues over it. We've already talked about, I'm going to speak the word of God into this situation. I'm going to speak to Jesus about it. I'm going to speak to some friends about it. But what I suggest you do is deal with the issue as it comes on your path. All right? Don't go hunting for it. These things will come and find you. They've done it all your life anyway. So they'll come and find you as you're walking along. So, number one, determine the trigger event that fostered the lie. So I've written a little example here that is uh, to do with the workplace. So I'm, I haven't personal to make sure I haven't personalised it for anybody. So here's the example: your supervisor failed to affirm the hard work you put in on last week's event, and you feel resentful and insignificant. <coughs> anybody know what I'm talking about here? All right. So there's the trigger. You felt someone should have acknowledged what you've done. But because they haven't, you feel resentful. Right? So that's your insecurity. Spot it. There it is. There's the trigger. There's the thing that, that there it is. It's just come on my path. I've identified the thing that's happened. So number two then. Discover the lie you have believed about the situation. Now this is where we have to be really process with the, with the Spirit of God in our hearts. So here, let me give you an example. Perhaps you embrace the lie, I am only as good as what I do. You have attached your value to your performance and the approval of others. So what you've done is you've gone, they don't think I've done a good job. Therefore, I'm not a good person. That's a lie. Right there. It, that is a demonic lie. What you do and who you are, very, very separate things. At the very worst, you've made a mistake. You're still a great person. And God still loves you amazingly. But somehow, what we do gets attached to our identity. And we think we're terrible. Are you still following me here? Yeah. If I'm going too fast or too slow, please tell me. Right, and the third thing, these are so simple, but if you can apply this in prayer every single time you hit it, right, you will stand a chance of booting these things as you go down the road each time. Kick them out, kick them out, and dealing with it right at the spot.
Do you know what? I wish someone told me this when I was a teenager. Never mind. I've learned it now. Number three, decide what response is truthful, appropriate, and realistic. I'll say that again. Decide what response is truthful, appropriate, and realistic. So in my example, my personal worth is tied to who I am, not what I do. That's my declaration. My supervisor does appreciate me, but he is human like me and likely failed to notice my work due to an oversight. After all, he has been very busy himself. I choose this over this. Most people in my life aren't here to get me. Some are, and I have to treat them differently. Right? What I'm talking about is how we get into these conspiracy things in our minds and we start to forget who we are in Christ. It starts to eat away at us and we lose who we are in the process. So I'll give you those three again, because I want you to memorise. The three Ds are determine, discover and decide. Determine the trigger event that fostered the lie. Discover the lie you have believed about that situation. And decide what response is truthful, appropriate and realistic. The whole thing's a mindset. You've got to choose which way you're going to go. Right, am I going to believe the lie that has no foundation? That's the point. There's no foundation to this thought. I've got no evidence to back this up. Except it's how I feel in the moment I'm in. Am I going to believe that lie or am I going to believe the truth about what God says about me? And I'm in that crossroads moment or a T-junction. I know who I am in Christ. If, if he has got a problem, that's his problem, not my problem. And I refuse to embrace that as part of my identity. Okay, here's some truths for you. And there's some things I've written down here. We must never put our emotional health in the hands of someone else. We must never put our emotional health in the hands of someone else. Number two, the truth is a requirement for spiritual and emotional health. We know the truth, and the truth will... Absolutely. What is the truth in this situation? What is the truth? What ever, if I have no evidence for this lie, I refuse to allow it to, uh, to become part of me. Number three, most of our unhappiness and insecurity is the result of the lies we believe. Shall I say that again? Most of our unhappiness and insecurity is the result of lies we believe. Can I just have a caveat? There are some nasty people in the world and there are some people who've, who've tried to get me and do me and do some horrible things. But that doesn't change who I am. Right? Uh, how I deal with that is a very separate issue. What I'm trying to talk about here is dealing with issues where we presume or believe a lie about something that has no evidence and how it impacts us because of our insecurity. So most of our unhappiness and insecurity is a result of lies we believe. Number four, recognize that you will believe what you want to believe. <laughs> 
recognize you will believe what you want to believe. This is hard to get out of a thinking pattern sometimes. And this is why the word of God's really important. We'll get to that in a moment. This is why having someone who speaks truth to us is really important. Mm-hmm. This is why we say we rec- get a true picture, identity of who we are in Christ so that we can compare and contrast what's going on here. Number five, ah, I love this. The truth can be eclipsed by a thrilling lie. The truth can be eclipsed by a thrilling lie. And lastly, remember that hurting people naturally hurt people and intimidated people intimidate. Remember that hurting people naturally hurt people, intimidating people intimidate. But healed people heal people. And loved people love people. (coughs) We've touched on some of these things already. But uh, I'm going to say four things really quickly. Then we'll have a little discussion. And I'll finish with eight things we can do to uh, as an action plan. Number one, identity. You must tie your self-worth with your identity in Christ. Not people, not performance, but who Christ says you are. Who does Christ say you are? Not what other people say I am. Brokenness. You must allow God to break you from self-sufficiency and self promotion God's, God takes us to a place of brokenness so he can refix us you've heard the story of someone who's uh, damaged their leg and it's set wrong yeah what does the doctor have to do break it again to set it right you because of your fallen nature and me because of sin right, I am set wrong pre-Christ And unless I've allowed God to break me, he can't set me right. Okay? So if you haven't been set right, I know people who've been in church, called themselves Christian for years, but haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to break them and set them right again. So if you haven't been broken, ask God to break you, (laughs) because he will set you right. Number three is purpose. You must discover and practice your God-given purpose in life not someone else's you can't live someone else's purpose you've got to get what is your purpose and live that every day number four giving and receiving blessing you must learn to let others love and bless you and do the same to them so what i want you to discuss in your groups is these these four keys to emotional security identity You must tie your self-worth with your identity in Christ, not people and performance. Is my identity in Christ or is my identity in what people think of me or is my identity in what I do, my job? I want you to discuss that for a few minutes. Brokenness, have you allowed the Holy Spirit to break you and fix you and straighten you? Purpose, am I living... God's purpose in my life. And lastly, giving and receiving blessing. How well do you receive compliments? How well do you receive blessing from other people? 
It usually determines how well you give blessing. But I know some people who give and give and give. But when it comes back to them, they can't accept it. But that's a form of insecurity. It's control. If I keep pushing it all that way, the ebb and flow of our faith means that God's place is in community. We must learn to give and receive blessing from one another. Get, get, just go back in your groups, discuss those four things. How well do you practice these four keys to emotional security? Identity, brokenness, purpose, and the giving, receiving of blessing. <coughs> okay then. Who's going to go first? This team here. John 836. Um, yep. The sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Very good. When the sun sets free, he's free indeed. This team. Uh, child of Christ, so John 1 12, um, he gave us the right to become children of God. That's a brilliant one. Did you hear that? Right, so go to these reference again. John 8. John 836. John 836. If you didn't write it down, write it down. The Apocrypha. Yeah. <laughs> John 1, 12. Uh, he gave the right to become a child of God. Good. Beautiful. Colossians 3, 1 to 3. Colossians 3, 1 Since to 3. then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Beautiful. See this team? I, yeah, I'd always go with pretty much all of Ephesians 1. Yeah. Right. I picked a bit out and I said, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with him, with a seal, a yeah. promised Holy Spirit. Mm. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. It's wonderful. So good, isn't it? Love it. The learned gentleman at the back. Ephesians 1. Verse 5, where it says, He predestined us from adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His special Beautiful. Yeah. Brilliant. Beautiful. Beautiful. You've still got it, guys. Yeah. <laughs> See, uh, if you didn't capture them, write these things down, right? And you've got to get this word under your skin, beating in your heart. It needs to come through the arteries, not the veins, because it gives life and life, this whole thing of identity. I pretty much start my whole day working around these things. Uh, just to be vulnerable with you, this, I started this morning. Uh, and I preached, I worked hard for the last 36 hours, Tuesday, right all the way, came home feeling terrible, feeling ill, went to bed, got up at six this morning, and I sat down, and I didn't feel good. I felt physically ill. But I felt oppressed from all the endeavours the day before. And I started, my thoughts went straight to negative thoughts. I wonder what they meant by that. I wonder if, you know what I'm, what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. And I had to find myself in God. I went to Ephesians 2. And it says, it tells us that Jesus is seated in the heavenly planes. And he says he's raised us up to sleep with him. I just read that scripture. And I start to play some worship. 
I said, God, just break me again. I'm a flawed man. I know you used me yesterday, but look how frail I am today. I feel so weak today. Will you break me, please? I'm just in his presence this morning, start to worship. I don't do this every, I don't react this way every morning, but I start to weep this morning. And I remembered an old song that came to me when I was a child. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Which connected me from identity through brokenness into purpose. Life's worth the living because he lives. I'm alive, he's alive, something's going to happen. Do you know what I did next? I texted three friends, told them how amazing they were, told them I loved them, showed them something from my reading that I'd read in 1 Corinthians, and just uh, sent them a text to say, just backing you today, praying for you today, that God's will and purpose will be fulfilled in your life today. Don't allow the devil to pull you down because you're amazing, you're incredible. Lots of love, Simon. Within 10 minutes, I've got texts going, no, you're amazing. I'm going, no, you're more amazing. <laughs> but just these four little things, four steps that I take each day, some of them I have more power in them than others. See, these come to destroy me, belittle me, make me small, make me self-centered, make me want to think about me and how I compare to other people. But God's word is forever just lifting me and breaking me and reminding me of what I'm about. And as soon as that happens, I can't help it. I have to go and bless someone. That was my devotions this morning. Can I encourage you from this broken man, this weak man, this insecure man who's fighting to serve Jesus every day? Can I inspire you? to step out of your insecurity and step into his identity. Get those scriptures. If you can't see it, keep reading those scriptures until they come to you like this. Until they come to you because you've read them, you've memorised them, they're alive in you. That identity of who he is. When I was younger, when I was a kid, we used to sing a song, Spirit of the Living God. Full of fresh army. I got filled with the Holy Spirit singing that song. Then the line goes, break me, melt me, mold me, fill me. Let's get back to some of that, shall we? Break me, melt me, mold me, fill me. This is what the potter does. He's, he's working on us. And when we start to wiggle a bit and it all goes wobbly, you just go, right, I'm starting again. I'll start building something. We will be stronger men every single day if we just apply these things. All right, real fast, because we've gone over. Here's some action things for us. Number one, study and meditate on the scriptures. I've already said this. That define your identity in Christ, in him, with him. Study those things. All right? Memorize those scriptures. In him we live and Breathe and have our being. Number two, check yourself each time you compare yourself to someone. Pause 
and thank God for the differences. <coughs> Check yourself every time you compare yourself with someone. Pause and thank God for the differences. Look for the gold in who you're comparing yourself with. It's just different to yours. Number three. Uh, I do this when I'm feeling a bit weak. Focus on your strengths for a season. Identify and polish your gifts and skills. Sometimes when you're out of kilter, you've got to reconstruct yourself. Think about the stuff you're good at and really work on hard at that. If you're good at encouraging people, encourage. If you're good at being generous, be generous. If you're good at speaking to people, do those things. Really get yourself focused on doing those things. Um, listen to, read good books. Listen to podcasts, etc. Uh, here's, here's one that will help you. Identify the two or three most common lies you believe about yourself and write down the truth about those areas and tell yourself the truth. If you've identified one or two lies, go right, there's the lie. I'm going to counter that with the truth and I'm going to remind myself the truth so that when I hit it again, when the trigger comes, I'm ready for it. Find someone who is safe to be a support person. Uh, watch out for vulnerable situations. Areas of criticism, rejection, meeting someone important, a colleague's success, failure, an unfamiliar territory. If you know you're vulnerable going into those things, prepare yourself beforehand so that you know how to cope with those things. And lastly, but not leastly, remind yourself of the truth. We are to imitate Christ who came and emptied himself in order to serve others, not to be served. I just want to say, before I finish, you are all outstanding people, called on a mission to serve in the sphere of your influence. Called to serve your wives, those of you who are married. Called to serve your family, those of you who are fathers. Called to serve your um, employer or your employees, depending on your situation. Let's do it with a bit of style. Let's just step it up a bit, shall we? Let's just say, most of, if, you're, if you're over 40, you've learned to disguise most of these things. Right? But let's open these things up. So I'm going to be free of these now. And I'm going to learn to become bigger as I serve my Jesus. I'm going to step up another level and I'm not going to allow these things to hide inside of me anymore. There's no room for insecurity. There's no more room for this space to sabotage who I am. I'm not going to allow these things anymore. I, they will come every single day, sometimes, Please, the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. This is where he gets us the most. Because you don't have to tell anybody these things. But let's get it in the open. Let's have God's identity. Allow him to break us, find a purpose and be a blessing and receive a blessing from one another and see what God does of beauty in our lives. This is what I found. When I step up, 
I change everything around me. Every time I go, I'm not going to live like that, I'm stepping forward. Stuff gets out of the way. Demons become a little bit more interested in me, but that's their problem, not mine. Every time I step up, because my identity of who God's called me to be, stuff changes around me. And we're meant to be change agents, changing the environment, changing the environment in our marriages, changing the environment in our homes, changing the environment in our workplaces, just by coming who God's called us to be. Can I pray for you? This is our declaration, God. We're not going to do the devil's work for him anymore. We're not going to sabotage ourselves. Here's my other declaration, God. I want to live in your identity in my life. I want to speak over me what you speak over me. And I'm going to get into your word until those words become my words. Until your words become my words. Until what you say over me is what I say over me. Until what you say over me is what I say over other people. And God, I, I am flawed. So will you keep breaking and resetting me so I become more Christ-like. And I want to live every single day for your purpose. And make me a blessing to others. Make me an encouragement to others. Let words come out of me that bring life and light let words come out of me that bring hope. Let words come out of me be the type of words that you would say about the person I'm talking to you. Let the words come out of me be the words that you think of those people. In the name of Jesus. And I'm not going to allow people to decide who I am. In the name of Jesus. Father, thank you for this time we've had tonight. I pray you'll seal your word in our hearts. I pray that your life, these words that I've spoken in an attempt to try and get us to think differently tonight, I pray these words will resonate within us. We'll become better husbands and better fathers. We'll become better friends. We'll become better employees and employers. And may your anointing rest on us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much, everybody. Well, oh, pleasure to see. That's good, isn't it? What do you reckon, guys? I feel in my spirit that um, it's quite important. Is that I think the enemy is having a field day of us blokes, and I think his strategy is to crush the man and to raise the women up. Do you know what I mean? So that make us insignificant. That's demonic. God's plan for you is to know who your identity is in Christ Jesus. And when you know who you are in Christ, he won't be able to crush us. And I think that what's happened tonight is, is that Simon is, has given us like meat. You know, you can have just baby food, but we don't need that. What we've had tonight is steak. We've had steak on a plate. And that's for us to chew over now, isn't it? And to go home and think about what it is and just mull over that and what he's done is he's given us keys to freedom keys to get us out of this i just thought the one thing that was good for me tonight is most of our insecurity and unhappiness is the result of the lies we believe what we need to do tonight
go home and speak at those lies and say, you're just a lie, you're nothing, you're what the enemy has put there. But in the name of Jesus, I bind you, I rebuke you, shove off, whatever you, whatever you say, and live in freedom, knowing who you are in Christ. Sai, you've been amazing tonight. Thank you, Jesus, and, uh, and it's been a great night, and thanks for coming, guys. Amen. Good.